following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. I want to talk to you today for a few moments. We started a journey a couple weeks ago. Ed Savasso's message last week was so powerful on forgiveness. We've heard many testimonies this week, past week about that. And uh, we started talking about that we don't believe this is the time to celebrate Passover as normal, leaving Egypt. But this is the time to celebrate Passover by entering into our inheritance and our promised land. And we started talking about last week, or the week before Ed was here, about shame. And uh, I believe that's a theme we will continue on. Thank you for those of you that are helping me on Facebook and social media, giving me your thoughts and concepts and experiences with shame. I do believe it's the number one tool of the enemy to keep people from their potential. So touch three people and say, we're about to cross over at Passover and shame is coming off of us in Jesus' name. Tell them. Shame is coming off of us. I got so much I'd like to say about that, but I need to take care of some other things today before we get there we'll finish up next week because I believe the cross right is the power that releases us from shame that gives us back our true identity and we'll be talking about that next week and we'll be having two services next Sunday 9 and 11 so we look forward to celebrating Passover part of celebrating Passover uh, for for those of you that aren't, aren't familiar with it yet we do this because we believe that God has spoken to us over the past years to celebrate the feast of the Lord. And uh, Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 16, 16, I'll go ahead and put that up. I think it's the third slide. It says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord and the Lord your God in the place that he chooses at the feast of Passover, at the feast of Pentecost, at the feast of Tabernacles, and you shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So part of our experience around these feasts is we're learning that God can break us into a place of supernatural resourcing for us. And I've started looking into this and studying about it, and I've been blown away by some of the thoughts that I've gotten from the Scripture. How many of you have ever quoted Psalm 23? Most of the time we hear it at funerals or we hear it at you know, solemn occasions. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But I looked into that and started... Um, started studying on that a little bit, and I'm, I was staggered by the concept of what it says. It actually says, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. So he's talking about provision. And it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That word paths is an interesting Hebrew word, agal, which means cycle. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in cycles of righteousness which produce prosperity. Y'all are not as impressed as this crew over here, but I'll come back over here. Y'all seem a little more excited than that, that side. I don't know about you, but I got excited when I realized that God's talking about leading us in these cycles because the word festival or feast Actually, it's another interesting Hebrew word, kog, which means to make a cycle. 
And so if you really understand what we're doing around Passover, we're actually living out Psalm 23 where the Lord every year brings us to a point. He's got, God's got one, heart, one thing on God's heart every year this time of year. I want to lead you in new cycles of righteousness which are going to produce new cycles of prosperity and defeat cycles of lack, poverty, sin, sickness, and disease and break you out of one place and move you to a new place in Jesus' name. Touch three people say, I told you he's my shepherd. Tell them, I told you he's my shepherd. So we've learned that what God does is these times here, he says, don't come empty-handed. It's not because God needs our money. It's because he knows that when we release our faith, it moves us into new cycles with the Lord. Now, as I begin to look into this in Joshua 5, that's kind of where we're focusing this year, it says, the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight. So now we see Passover being kept even though they'd been in the wilderness 40 years. Now we see them about to cross over into their inheritance and they keep the Passover again. This is important. Every time we keep the Passover, we're reminding ourselves that God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who is in covenant with us through the blood of the Lamb. We have, been, we have been delivered from the hand of the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. So we remind ourselves every time God's ready to transition us into a new cycle. And so it says, They camped in the plains of Jericho, and they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread, parched grain, on the very same day. This is what I want to get to. And it says, The manna ceased. They had been fed by God every day for 40 years supernaturally heavens open and provision came every day for 40 years fed supernaturally all of a sudden they go into a new season a new place and God says the manna ceased what does that mean the manna was just enough God says when you get ready to cross over into your inheritance your resourcing is going to have to change you've known me as the God of enough You've known me as the God of just enough, but I'm ready to take you into a new season where I want to be more than enough in your life. Touch three people say, you're about to have more than enough. Tell them. Touch one neighbor say, I'm leaving just enough. I'm moving to more than enough. How did he do it? He had to change their mindset. So they come out of Egypt and they, come in, and they come through the wilderness experience for 40 years. Now God has to change your mindset. How does he do it? I'd never seen this before. So think about it with me. 40 years, every day, manna, that's all they had. No new clothes. The clothes grew. Of course, they didn't gain a lot of weight because they're only eating manna. You know what I'm talking about? And... and but as they aged, the clothes grew and didn't wear out. The Bible says that. So it was just enough, nothing new, nothing fashionable, just enough. All of a sudden, God takes them in, the manna ceases. It says they ate the produce of that land that year. And all of a sudden, he takes them to a place called Jericho. Jericho was a wealthy city full of stuff, animals, food, Produce, wine, money, silver, gold, garments. It was loaded. 
So can you imagine, just with me for, for a minute, 40 years you've gone with just enough. Now God's taking you to a new season and all of a sudden he gives you a city with no effort of your own. You walked around it 13 times and blew a horn and the wall came down. And now the abundance is staring you right in the face. God said, don't touch it. That's mine. Now, why would God not allow them to have all that stuff after 40 years of having just enough? God didn't need the stuff. What was happening? God was delivering them from a slave scarcity mentality, opening their mindset to thoughts of abundance. God was saying to you, this can be your last city or this can be your first city of many, 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 many cities to come. It depends on how you navigate it with me. Do you trust me or do you not trust me? And you go, if you read it, I think it's Joshua 6 and 7. One of them didn't trust him and stuck a little gold and some garments. Remember that? And they get, what's his name, Achan, I think, which means trouble. Touch your neighbor and say, don't trouble me in this season. Come on, don't you trouble me in this season. (laughs) And it says they went to war over the next city and they were defeated because Achan was in the camp and it troubled all of Israel because he had touched the cursed thing and not trusted God. This is the most clear picture of first fruits I can see throughout the whole scripture. God said, you give me the first city, I'll give you all the other cities in the land. And God comes to us every year saying, are you going to trust me? Do you want this to be your last or do you want it to be your first of many to come? And he brings us to this place every year to break us out of a scarcity mindset to a place of abundance. You see, a scarcity mindset, when we get to a time of each year where God's asking us for first fruits offering, we have to determine and trust, or is there really more? Is there really more than my paycheck? Is there really more than my savings? Is there really more than what I have? Is God really able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think? And so we get to determine each and every year what kind of cycles we're going to break into. Touch three people and say, I'm about to break into a new cycle in Jesus' name. Tell them. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He's speaking through Chuck Pierce and several of the prophets that we are in the place now in a spiritual season where God is about to bring some significant wealth transfers. There's coming some transfer of wealth. Uh, I really believe this. I believe that that's what the Lord's saying. Exodus 12, 36 says, when Israel came out of Egypt, they left with the wealth of the Egyptians. They had been held in bondage for 430 years and all of a sudden God brings them out and it's like he pays restitution. He gives them back. I feel like the Holy Spirit said, I heard the Holy Spirit say, get ready for tipping points of re's. R-E apostrophe S. Repayment. Restitution. Recompense. Some of us have been in some 10-year battles, laboring, fighting, sowing, praying, believing. I heard the Holy Spirit say, get ready. We are at the tipping point. Do y'all remember that word? Let me, where, where's that bowl? Did we bring that bowl down? 
Remember this word that came to us? I don't want us to forget this. Have you already forgotten it? It, it, this tipping point deal a few, few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, a prophet sent us a word that we were at a tipping point and in that same service, a lady brought this bowl, didn't without knowing the prophet had sent the word because God showed her this bowl to buy at an antique store and said, bring it to Ken and tell him it's time for the church to have a tipping point that, every, that their prayers, that their seeds, that they're crying, that they're believing, that their faith, if all of a sudden about to overflow about to overflow because the bowls in heaven are at a tipping point. Who knows, this might be the season. This might be the feast. This might be the day. This might be the Passover where your season of a trickle comes to a place of overflow. Slap three people say, I believe that word. Thought the Holy Spirit saying we're going to move from a trickle to an overflow. We've had trickles of miracles and trickles of breakthrough and trickles of healings and trickle of salvation. But I feel in my spirit we're at a place where God is about to overflow. So in my spirit, I know I'm preaching good when I have to pull my britches up. In my spirit, I'm, I, I'm asking, do I value the word? Do I value that the, an, a prophet sent me a word? And confirmed it? Or do I dismiss that as, uh, that's just coincidence? See, I believe this is where we miss it. Because some of us value that, and what happens when you value, you take action. See, I believe God said it's a tipping point. So I'm praying along those lines, and I'm getting ready to bust a seed. Come on, I'm not talking about flipping off. I'm going to bust a seed. Why? Because I value that word and I don't want trickle anymore. I want to step in to an overflow. So I've already started praying, Lord, you tell me what you want me to give. And if I don't have that much, you give it to me. And bust a seed. Touch street people and say, I'm not going to give it. I'm going to bust a seed at Passover. <laughs> no, you didn't do that right. Y'all ain't in on it yet. <laughs> Tell them, I'm going to bust a seed. Get, get a little attitude. I'm going to bust a seed. You see, there's been many wealth transfers in the Bible. Supernatural. Abraham lied to a king and left with all of his wealth. God could even get your God could even fix your mess with overflow. 
Isaac, transfer of wealth. The Bible actually says in Proverbs 13, 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. There's, there, there's money up there out there that, that, that you need to believe that's been laid up. Not hid from you, hid for you. Just waiting for you to step on and cross on into your inheritance and begin to steward the blessings of heaven. Now, one way of wealth transfer is absolute supernatural. Another way is God will give you an anointing. And then he'll give you creative concepts and ideas that you will actually have power to create wealth through, through, through inventive concepts and ideas. But, but I know, and I know this is a, a, a word, and I know, and I'm taking my time because many of us have been in such a season of lack, we've got to have some of that knocked off of us so we can start thinking about abundance again. See, there's a season for everything. I understand we had a season of lack. So did Israel. Deuteronomy 8 says, I let you go through the wilderness and suffered you for hunger so I could do you good at the latter end. But I'm here to prophesy to somebody, you've been through the wilderness, you've been through the lack, but now it's time to get on the other side of that and let God open the windows of heaven on you. Touch three people, so I'm crossing over to the other side. Now that word... Remember, Deuteronomy 8.18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that, me, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers. God's gift, there's an, just like there's an anointing to be saved, an anointing to heal, an anointing to prophesy, there's an anointing to get wealth. That word, wealth, is another Hebrew word, kail, which means force, power, resources, but it also means to whirl and twist. Now, whether you believe this or not, it's not on me, it's on you. But I'll just tell you what happened. See, not only do I have to have faith for me and my family, I have to have faith for this church. I got two sets of bills. And so like many of you that run a company or do things outside your family income, you understand that you got to have faith for, for personal and faith for other things. So we were in a situation here at the church where we desperately needed some cash flow. And so I just started saying, Lord, you know, you know. Lord, you're right. Best thing to do is pray, right? And randomly on this computer popped up this cat named Leroy Thompson. Now, I don't know if you ever heard of Leroy Thompson. He's wild. He'll almost turn you off watching him. That's we you know when people make me kind of like, ooh, I normally watch him. Because normally God's trying to break something off of me and break something away from me. So I'll go ahead and press on in and see if they've got something to say. And this cat started preaching. And he got up under an anointing, because I know the anointing. And he got up under the anointing. And he said, you know what? Some of you aren't breaking through financially because you don't know what it means to have wealth and rejoice. He said the word rejoice is the same word of wealth. It means to spin, twirl, and leap. 
So I'm watching him on the computer. He said, I dare you to whirl, spin, leap, and shout, money cometh. Now, I don't know about you, but if you, if you maybe not be open to this kind of stuff because you've never been in the deepest need that I've been in. But I've been in many places too many times in a place that I can't do it by myself. I've got to have some supernatural intervention. See, everybody wants to see a miracle, but not few people want to put themselves in a place to see a miracle. So I'm watching that computer, and I just I, and they were throwing money while he was preaching, which I had never seen before. They were just people got under the don't just started giving. So I just whipped out what I had in my pocket. I think it was a couple twenties. I threw it at the computer. I said, "Woo, money coming!" And I thought, boy, that was stupid. <laughs> that was just foolish to throw money at the computer, jump, and whirl, and say. It, like, it looked like he was pulling the lever. I did it. Do it again. Woo, money coming. You do it. Don't wait on me. <laughs> Those that didn't stand up, reach over and say, I'm going to get your money. Touch them, say, I'm about to get your money. You had some money coming, but I'm going to get your money. You want one more chance so nobody don't get your money? Do it, I dare you. Jump up, leap, twirl, tell my money coming in Jesus' name. <laughs> Touch somebody, say, you ain't getting my money. I went home, I went to my house, and uh, it was about 5 o'clock, and I, and I sat down a minute, and I thought, I'm kind of tired, and I just kind of laid back my head like this, put my phone on my chest right here, I was doing some work on the phone, and fell asleep. All of a sudden, bzzz, woke up, his phone, I said, hello, guy said, hey, I was thinking about you today, do you need some money? He, I said, yes. He said, do you need some money for the church? I said, yes, I do. He said, could you come by the office? I got a check for $50,000 for the church. I just wrote this. Come on. Anybody else want to get in on it? Huh? Anybody else want some of that? I double dog dare you. Get up on your feet. If you need some money to come into your life, jump, leap. Money coming to me now. I prophesy money will come supernaturally this week and you will have a first fruits offering that you've never had before. Touch three people, tell them money's coming, money's coming, money's coming.
Money cometh. Money cometh to me now. It ain't no joke. I ain't going to be broke no more. Some of you say, I don't need no money. It's because you ain't giving nothing. You get given big enough, you'll need some. Money. Money, money, money. Now listen, I got to keep teaching. Is that all right? There's an anointing here, I'm telling you. There's an anointing here. There's some wealth transfer coming. There's some money here. There's some money coming. There's some money coming to somebody. Somebody's had money locked up. It's about to get loose. Somebody's got money locked up. They're about to get loosed. I got to keep on just a minute if I can. We need to, we, we got to break some things. Jesus was not poor. 
Jesus is not poor. Jesus became poor. There's a big difference. Jesus has never been poor. Jesus became poor. You got to get this. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Put it up. For you know by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. Jesus left wealth and royalty in heaven and became poor, actually a slave or a servant. He was not poor. He actually chose to become poor so that you could break out of poverty and might be rich. You need some more proof. Nobody poor of spirit can show up at a wedding and they run out of wine and at his word turn 64 gallons of water into the best wine they've ever drank. That ain't broke. Nobody poor can take fish and loaves and bless it and feed 5,000 people with one loaf of bread and a few fish. You tracking with me? Nobody of a poverty mindset can look at fishermen who have fished all night and caught nothing and all of a sudden give them one instruction and their boat fill up with wealth. Send one man on an errand to catch a fish to pay everybody's taxes. We've got to break this mentality for some reason. We think that Jesus was, was, was of, of a poverty mindset. He became poor. Yes, exchanged heaven's royalty and wealth so that you and I could inherit that. Now, some of you are struggling with this. I've struggled with it. But we've got to, we got to end this struggle. And most of us are struggling with it because of shame. We don't think we deserve it. And we don't. That's the good news that what Jesus did. He who was rich became poor, so those of us who were poor could be rich. That's not talking about money. That's talking about a spirit on the inside of you that knows how to function in God's kingdom. God's definition of wealth is the ability, resources, strength, and wisdom to create positive outcomes in the midst of lack, poverty, and or emptiness. That's God's definition of wealth. That you have not just the money, but you have the capacity on the inside of you that you can step in the midst of poverty and say, wait a minute, this does not have to stay this way and you through the wisdom and the power of God can come up with a creative, anointed idea to change that spiritual atmosphere. And bring the kingdom into that situation. 
Wealth is light in the darkness. Healing in sickness. Prosperity in poverty. Wholeness in brokenness. Favor in obscurity. Love for the unlovely. Beauty for ashes and victors among victims. Wealth is a can-do attitude, a more-than-enough mindset, and a nothing-is-impossible belief system. This is what this is about. This isn't about your money. This is about your mindset. This is about you're willing to jump out, do something you've never done, give something you've never done, to believe God can give you something you've never had before, and let your capacity get enlarged Living in a wealthy place. Wealth is radical generosity. Extraordinary compassion. Sacrificial giving and profound humility. Wealth is always thankful and never jealous. It does not brag. It celebrates with others and it looks to the future. Keep going. Poverty lives only for today, but wealth leaves a legacy. Poverty finds a problem in every opportunity, while wealth finds an opportunity in every problem. Touch three people say, I'm about to change my mind. Tell them I'm about to change my mind. Poverty feels entitled, while wealth feels empowered. Poverty fears the future, yet wealth makes history. Poverty blames others for its condition, but wealth takes responsibility for things that are. Poverty lives for today, but wealth leaves a legacy. Poverty asks, what are you going to do for me? Wealth asks, who is worthy of my investment? Poverty hangs around with other disgruntled sorts who validate its accusations. But wealth surrounds itself with other powerful influencers. Here's what's exciting about God's idea of wealth. Biblically, anybody can be wealthy. I said biblically. Biblically, Anybody can be wealthy because biblically the way into wealth is giving. If wealth was based on receiving, not everybody could be wealthy because everybody can't receive. Everybody doesn't have something to receive or someone to receive from. But the Bible teaches us that wealth is not obtained by what we receive. Wealth is actually obtained by how we give. You see, anybody can give. You say, well, I don't have money. It didn't say money. It just said give. Look at Luke 6, 38. Give. And it will be given back to you. It didn't say give money. It just said give. See, the way you start to into a, the way you break a poverty mentality is you just start giving instead of taking. Because a lot of us have been brought up with mentality, we take everything we can get because we don't believe we're ever going to have enough. So we're takers. 
How many of you lived with some takers? They just take, 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 take. They're exhausting. Because they're always taking and never giving. It's not because they're bad people. It's just they have a bad belief system. They don't believe they ever have enough. Therefore, they consume everything they get. God says, if you want to move into a wealthy place, you quit taking only and you start giving. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you give, it will be given back unto you. If I can, if I really believe, if it's the only principle God allowed me to preach, I could change people's lives for the rest of my life on earth. If I could just get to teach the spirit of giving, it's the way out of everything. And the way into everything. You don't have anybody love you? Start giving love. You ain't got no friends? Start being friendly. You ain't got nobody helping you? Start helping somebody else. You sad? Start showing happiness. You depressed? Start showing joy. You bitter, start giving by forgiving. Everything comes from what you give, not what you take. If I can let you, if you could buy into this with me, that it's how I give that makes my life, not what I take or receive. It says it's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Receiving only happens one time, but when you give, it happens over and 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 over again. I feel the anointing. I feel the anointing because I'm not preaching something I read in a book. I'm preaching something I've lived for 35 years. When Bev and I first got in the kingdom, we were broke as a joke. Seriously. Broke. Terrible broke. We weren't poor. We're poor. Po. Po. Not poor. We didn't have O-R. We just had O. P-O. Po. Because of my lifestyle choices and drug addiction, we were broke. No way out. High school education, no try. I had no job opportunities. We, we, we fortunately got under a Bible teacher that started teaching us about giving. We were in debt to the IRS for $100,000. I was making $25,000 a year combined. With two kids, house, car, and the IRS taking everything over our necessary expenses to try to pay back a $100,000 debt. You're talking about Poe. And, and Bev and I got a hold of this, and we, it doesn't make sense to be broke and give. If you broke, you should take and save. That's the world's mentality. But God spoke to us. Through the scriptures, and we, we thought, this, we, didn't, we didn't start by faith. We started by necessity. We had no other option than to see if it wouldn't work. Only thing, the worst thing that happened, I'd get more broke. 
So I didn't start out of faith. I started out of pure necessity. There was no other way out other than I got to try it in case it does work. Let me pause a minute. I didn't, I didn't get out of it overnight. So don't think you can live 40 years taking and all of a sudden start giving and it's going to change overnight. Every farmer knows their seed, time, and harvest. So I don't want to mislead you. Yes, God will give you some things supernaturally, but then you get into the cycle. See, one thing that people don't understand is when Israel came out of the wilderness, in the wilderness, I learned this in Israel this time, in the wilderness they were shepherds, not farmers. They had never sowed a seed in their life. They had never seen anything grow from the ground. It was only God's supernatural provision and the animals that they had. All the years in the wilderness. When they stepped into the promised land, God said, you're not shepherds anymore. You're farmers. And I'm going to start teaching you about seed, time, and harvest. And all of a sudden, Israel began to take on a new identity. That's what this is all about. I'm trying to get us into a new identity. I'm trying to move us out of a slave, beggar, poverty mentality into a place where God's going to allow us to steward the resources of heaven as children of God on the earth. So what happens in a farmer, you know farmers, you sow and you reap. And then when you reap your harvest, you don't eat it all. Because if you eat the whole harvest, you have nothing to sow for the next season. So what happens is you sow, you reap, you take a portion, you eat it, but then you keep a portion and you sow it. And then what happens is cycle after season after season after cycle. These are what these feasts are all about. Some of you got into first fruits five years ago, and now what's happened five years later, you got a much greater income than you used to have. Anybody testify? Raise your hand. Look around this room. Wave these hands. Now what's happened? When you get a greater income, you got more seed to sow. Now you start building cycle after cycle, season after season, and the next thing you know, you find yourself in a place of abundance. Wealth. Now don't confuse it with riches. I know a lot of rich people who aren't wealthy. I'm not talking about money only. I'm talking about the kind of wealth that says it'll make you rich and add no sorrow with it. Rich people are just always trying to stay rich. Rich people get their identity from what they have. That's not wealth. Wealth is when you have a capacity on the inside of you so big that if you lost everything, you still believe you could get it all back and more. Wealth is you got such a capacity, you lose your job, God will shut one door, but he'll loan me up another door. One business fails, I'll start another one. Touch three people say, you're about to get wealthy. We started sowing before the living God. Every week we had to make a decision. Do we buy, this was in the beginning, do we buy groceries or do we tithe? 
By the way, giving is not bringing money only. Giving's worship. And it only comes from a revelation when you realize your king is legitimate. So if you've brought this money to give to me or the church, that's not legitimate. When you, there's only one legitimate king. And when you get a revelation of who he is and the legitimacy of his authority, then the generosity and the giving comes out of my revelation of the, of the significance of who he is and his kingdom and how he wants to expand it in the earth. Before the living God, God just stepped into our situation. People, we give on Sunday. On Monday, somebody show up with groceries. Tuesday, can we take you out to eat? It got to when I had no money, I was eating steak and shrimp. And, and when I had my own money, I was eating bologna and vienas and, and chicken. I was like, God, I'd much rather eat with you. I don't like eating by my, my money. Come on. It says he'll give you seed to sow and bread to eat. And it just became a lifestyle for us because we had no other way out. Little by little, God just started opening up doors. Favor. Blessings. Unexpected blessings. It got to be so exciting that we couldn't wait to give because we knew something was always on the other side of it. I've told these stories, but they weren't telling again. Bev just got crazy in it. I came home from one trip. She'd given all of our furniture away. I said, what in the world happened? You know, she said, God spoke to me. A missionary couple I met, they had no furniture. I said, neither do we now. <laughs> Two days later, I go to the office. I walk in. There's a furniture catalog on my desk with a note. Praying for you. God said you needed furniture. Open the catalog, check in it. Won't God make a way if you let him? Deliverance from IRS debt. On and on and on. 35 years we've been living this, and we keep living it. Why? Because we want to do more. At one point in my life, I was believing God for 500. Now I'm believing for 5 million. I'm still trusting him and believing him, and he's still showing up. I don't have money stored up in the bank, but I got a capacity on the inside of me. <laughs> money coming! <laughs> Devil is a lie. I got two more scriptures. This I say, he who sows, somebody shout sows. Sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he's going to reap. You can't get away from this. 
You, you, you tell me what you're sowing, I'll show you your future. You show me how you're giving to the Lord's work, I'll show you what your future looks like. It's directly tied. God's wanting to break us out of an old mindset into a new identity. God did not create us. I have been old and I now, I've been young and now I'm old, David said, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. God did not call you and me to live under a load of debt, barely getting by, never being able to go on missions, never being able to support God's work, working all of our lives, barely scraping by, never creating any legacy, never creating any inheritance for our children. That is not the will of God for your life. That is not the plan of heaven for your life. I'm here to decree and declare over you, we may have had some seasons of lack where God was teaching us something, but that is not the season now. Now is the time to step in to a new place in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.